Okay, so currently we're in this series called Membership Has Its Responsibilities. And uh, so to recap, let's look at where we have been in this. So week number one, we talked about being a functioning church member. So who can tell me what that, what that means? Oh, you weren't expecting a quiz. An active participant, that's very good. Yeah, being a functioning church member means actually participating in the life of the church whether that's through life groups or through uh, being part of a ministry, uh, any kind of way, because we kind of did the comparison with the, act, the way Paul talks about the body and how there is no part of the body that really doesn't do something. And I guess there's a case could be made for the spleen or something that you can do without, but at any rate, we won't go there. <laughs> All right, a unifying church member. Who, who can tell me anything about that? Yes, that is. Very good. Yeah, it's, it's about building up rather than tearing down, right? And about kind of focusing on unity and what unites us rather than what's going to divide or tear apart. Third was unselfish. Anybody remember kind of the general catchphrase for being an unselfish church member? Church is not about there you go. Church is not about me. That's right. Being an unselfish church member means that we don't always get our way or we don't demand our way. We might get it occasionally, but we don't demand it. We kind of are willing to um, sacrifice our specific wants and needs for the good of all. And then finally, a praying church member. And um, that one probably doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. But as a part of that, I had put uh, kind of a challenge out to everybody to um, pray for at least that we would collectively come up with at least an hour's worth of prayer a day from now until Easter, okay? So this was kind of where we ended up. And if you can see, Saturdays and Thursdays are our low days, which we only have an hour and a half. But honestly, I was thrilled when I saw this. So these are the people that have signed up. This is who's praying. Um, and there's plenty of room for more. So if you would like to commit to praying for at least 15 minutes, one or more days a week for the church, we would welcome you and we will add you to the list. But as you can see, we are definitely meeting that goal now uh, as it stands. So that's, uh, that's where all that uh, ended up. Okay, so now let's go on to uh, this week, which is about being an encouraging church member. So when uh, Apple Incorporated set off this frenzy uh, on September the 19th with the uh, debut of the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, uh, workers from a company called Teardown.com lined up at 5 a.m., at stores across Austin, Texas, and they wanted to buy three devices, okay? Then they returned to the company's offices and their engineers began disassembling what they had just purchased. They said, we took a screwdriver and we tore them apart, said one of teardown.com's analysts. We wanted to know every detail of everything that's inside, who the supplier was for every component, wire and screw, and how much it costs to make. 
Over the next 12 hours, the battery, cameras, display, materials, and electronics were analyzed, priced, and the information was rolled into a spreadsheet. This quick turn report was shared with Teardown.com's clients, who include tech manufacturers, financial investors looking for market trends, and resellers who wanted to know how much the individual components cost. Uh, attorneys used the reports for patent infringement cases, and engineering teams studied them for design ideas. And so over the past 15 years that Teardown.com has been in business, they've broken down more than 2,000 products, uh, including tablets, digital cameras, camcorders, notebook PCs, and gaming consoles. Every product that the company has dismantled, uh, going back to the very first of the digital music players and GPS devices is stored away in, in what the company calls their morgue. Now, so why is this relevant? Well, I think it's relevant because unfortunately, there's an awful lot of people that operate like teardown.com because they really make it their primary mission to tear people down, even their own family in some cases, rather than building them up. So then if we turn to the scriptures, we look and we see that there really should be no surprise for any of us that, uh, that families are now very, or are shown as very analogous to the church. And so Paul wrote these words in Ephesians. This is from chapter 5, verses 22, actually I think it's 21 through 26. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives sh should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And then he would sort of clarify that if you go down to verse 32 even more. He says, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He continues in Ephesians 6.1, but now he kind of shifts a little bit. He's talking about children and parents. So he goes on and he says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And so what these passages remind us of is that just as we are supposed to have unconditional love and make sacrifices for our own families, 
we're really to do the same thing to the church in which God has placed us. You know, our, our family members, well, let me ask it this way. Does anybody have perfect family members? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Liar, I'm standing over here. The lightning bolt's bound to come any minute. All right, so other than my wife, nobody here has perfect family members. <laughs> well, so if that's the case, then why should we expect the members of the church to be perfect as well? Sometimes we really think that way. You know, we think that, you know, because so-and-so did something stupid or, you know, whatever, that... That was some great sin when in truth they're just acting really no differently than you know, someone in your family might. See, we're to find joy in serving both our families and the church. And we're further to remind or we're reminded of the importance of the family to the church. So in that sense, we're to encourage our family. We're to encourage them to be faithful members of the church. We should pray together as family members for the church. And indeed, we are to strive to love our families even more deeply so we can exhort our family members to love the church more deeply. So how do we do that? How do we then take that concept of, of being an encourager and then apply it to the church? What does that look like? Well, I think, first of all, <clears throat> it can look like praying together as a family for the church as a way to be an encouraging church member. And there was an encourager uh, in one church whose name was Bob. <clears throat> now, Bob died a few years ago, and this isn't somebody I knew, but in the words of one of his students, he influenced, if he influenced, just a few people the way he influenced this one man, then this relatively unknown and quiet man quite possibly could have changed the world. This was a guy who always seemed to be at the church. Now, but this is not like some people that you may know that kind of show up every time the doors are open, but it's more out of guilt. Um or they feel like there's some legalistic obligation to be there. You know, if the church is doing something, they're there. Bob was not like that. Bob was a guy who would show up because he just truly wanted to be there, and he loved to serve. He was always joyous about it. He was always kind, and you could just tell that he really loved being there, and he just loved the church, and he loved everybody who was there. And it, it carried over. You could, you could, just by looking at Bob's family, you know, his wife and his kids, they were exactly the same way. And he had led them into that kind of a love for the church. And they found joy in serving as well. And so there was a man that Bob started mentoring when he was a very young man. He was a young businessman. He was probably in his early 20s. And uh, just married for about three years, and he had just become a father. And so it was one of those cases where fatherhood just hit him uh, 
you know, like a ton of bricks. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, responsibility and all that. And so he really, really wanted to be a good husband and a good father, probably above anything else. And so for him, that meant getting more involved at the church. And by that, I mean really involved. And so what he didn't know at the time was that Bob had started watching him. Because Bob was a little bit concerned for him. And he loved the fact that he was so enthusiastic, uh, but he knew what was probably going to come just a little bit further down the road. See, Bob had been around the block a few times, and he knew that the more he got involved, then the more he would see the imperfections that were, in, were present in the church, in the pastor, in the staff, and in other church members. And he had, Bob had seen this pattern over and over and over. Somebody gets excited about the church, they get more involved, they discover the imperfections that are in the church, they get discouraged, and then they leave. And so Bob took this young man under his wing. And when this guy began to get angry or frustrated a little bit at what was going on or maybe discouraged by what he was seeing happen at the church, Bob would talk to him, take him aside, and he would explain to him that no church is perfect that no pastor is perfect, that no church member is perfect. And he would gently remind the young man that he was nowhere close to perfect either. Bob told him that he was to find joy in serving the church and to find joy in those who were in the church. That we're not a part of the church to see what we can get out of it. We're part of the church to serve and to care for others. Our perspective needs to always be on giving and not receiving. And if someone did something that disappointed us or frustrated us, maybe that was God's way of telling us to pray for that person. See, Bob told him that we would never have the perfection of Christ, but that we can all strive to be more like him. He reminded him that Christ died on the cross for the people who rebelled against him. And that because of that, we should be able to love the seemingly unlovable in our church. Or as we have come to know them as the EGRs, extra grace required. Now you're all wondering, okay, am I an extra grace required person? <laughs> and so through Bob's patient and biblically based teaching, this young man really learned to love the local church. And he learned to love people despite their imperfections. See, Bob taught him that he needed to take the log out of his own eye before he judged the speck in the eye of others. 
Now, it would have been ideal if this young man's own parents had taught him how to love the local church. They didn't. And so Bob steps in, and Bob was a very good spiritual father for this man. And one of the many lessons that this guy learned from Bob was to bring his family together to pray for his church. And that following Bob's leadership, they would learn to pray for the leadership of the church in a number of ways. And we sort of talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I talked about uh, being a praying church member um, for protection from moral failure, for the preaching of the word, for physical strength, for encouragement, for courage, for discernment, for wisdom and leadership. And so part of the opportunity uh, of being a church member or maybe I should say the responsibility, is in teaching our family to love the church. And not only to love the church, but how to love the church. And that teaching often begins with gathering the family together to pray for the church. So that's the first area. Second, we can be an encouraging church member by worshiping together as a family. See, if you are a church member, then you're responsible for encouraging and leading your entire family to come together and worship. If you're married, then you seek to include your spouse. If you're a parent, you seek to include your children. Your family has to see that you love the church. And men, I'm really speaking to you because that's your responsibility. Many people that come to church are single. They don't have any kind of an immediate family with whom they can worship. But that's okay. However, you need to know that people are still watching you. And they're seeing what you do, just as they are anybody else. And so you too are to be an example in what you do and in how you love the church and love others. This is a particularly poignant situation when you're a church member and you have a family member who's not a part of the church or maybe not even a Christian at all. And I have known a number of couples who have been in that situation. And I think in pretty much every one of those, the wife is the one who is a very devout, committed Christian, and the husband, not so much. And so Paul addresses this whole issue of, of divorce and separation in 1 Corinthians 7. And what he said was that he instructed the believing spouse that they should never take the initiative to leave the unbelieving spouse. And then he explains why. And it's because the believing spouse is a testimony of Jesus to the unbelieving spouse and to any of the children in the family. <clears throat> so 
Let's look at 1 Corinthians 7, 14. For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. Now, we believe in, in being real here, so let's get real for a minute. That's a lonely job. That can be a very lonely job, a very difficult road to walk. Going to worship alone, going to church by yourself while your spouse constantly remains behind. But I think if we looked at it from the standpoint that we talk about everybody has a mission. Well, God's given you a mission field and it happens to be in your home. And so some missionaries travel thousands of miles to tell the good news to an unevangelized people. We had the opportunity uh, the other night to have a uh, video conference call with Shelley, who is many, many miles away from here. And it was a little rocky because, you know, it was so far and it was quite a lag in the voice and video, but we could still see her and she could see us and we talked to her for a little bit. And prayed with her. And so she's someone who's been called to go thousands of miles away to reach people that if she doesn't go may not hear the gospel because it's not a Christian country where she's where she is. But for the the believing spouse coupled to an unbelieving spouse, your mission feels right at home. And, you know, you may not realize it, but your unbelieving spouse is watching you all the time. And how you respond to your spouse in that situation impacts your witness profoundly. And how the wife loves the church and speaks about the church also affects her husband or how the husband speaks about it affects the wife. And so a godly spouse is really, in many cases, the key to an unbelieving spouse coming to know Jesus. And that godliness that needs to be demonstrated is often demonstrated and seen in how the believing spouse loves and talks about the church. And then finally, you can be an encouraging church member by by falling deeply in love with the bride of Christ. See, as a church member, we're not merely to like our church or merely to serve your church well. Scripture calls us to fall deeply in love with the church. Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And your commitment should be to love that bride with an unwavering and unconditional love. 
Unconditional love is not always easy. See, if someone's perfect and they meet all of our perceived needs, well, it's relatively easy to love that person. I mean, why wouldn't you? But that's a one-way love. That's, once again, that's all about me. That's all about my needs. And if you're meeting those, then yes, I love you dearly. But true love means that you would continue to fall more deeply in love with someone regardless of the response that you get for that love. It means your love for the church will grow even if you disagree with something or encounter disagreeable people. It's really quiet in here. It means that you will love the church and your love will continue to grow even as I may disagree with something or encounter disagreeable people. And as you grow more deeply in love with your church, you need to do all that you can and all that you have, all that you can in God's power to bring your family with you. And if our family starts to get discontented or discouraged, we will once again remind ourselves that unconditional love is not always easy. See, this is the hard road. <clears throat> and this is the, this is, all due respect to Robert Frost, this is very definitely the road not taken by most church members. People, they encounter something they don't like or don't agree with, and their solution is to, to, to just leave. And the problem with that is that they take all of the junk and all of their issues and all of the problems that they have and they move them to another church and it becomes somebody else's problem to deal with because they've never actually dealt with them. They just pick up and go somewhere else and now some other poor person is going to have to deal with them. That's why, you know, Scripture calls us to have these conversations. You know, it's, it's okay to have disagreements. It's not okay to run away from them. And when it gets really hard, you know, when... And, and this is, you know, I'm not talking about you know, if there's bad teaching going on and you've gone to, you know, the pastor and you said, look, I just don't agree with that. Can you help me understand where, where you're coming from or what you're saying there or whatever? And if you've done that and it's still, you know, you just can't reconcile that, then yes, it's okay to say, look, I'm sorry, I don't agree with that. Uh, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. But at least you've had the conversation. So I'm not saying you can never leave. Don't, don't hear me say that at all. But don't leave 
poorly, <laughs> right? You know, leave the way scripture calls us to, you know, which is to have those conversations and have them <laughs> before you've made up your mind to leave. I'm looking at the other pastor in the room. I'm, it, you know, because if you've made up your mind to leave and then you, then, then you call me and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you. We're leaving the church and I just I thought I would want to talk to you. Quite honestly, I don't care. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but listen, I'm not going to come and sit down and have someone for a half an hour or an hour tell me all the things that I'm doing wrong and all the things that they don't like about the church. I don't need that. If you are willing, however, to come in the beginning, you know, when you have the issue and we can talk about it, and then you, based on that, may make a decision as to whether you, you need to leave or not, then I'm good with that. If you don't agree with what I'm saying right now, then call me and let's <laughs> talk about it. But in all of this, and in all this striving for, you know, to love unconditionally, we've got to remember that it's been demonstrated for us perfectly. And his name is Jesus. And he loves us, sins and all. So much so that he died on a cross for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Dr. Larry Crabb recalls an incident in which the church that he attended as, uh, occurred in a church that he attended as a young man. It was customary in this church that young men were encouraged to participate in the communion services by praying out loud. Well, as you know, many people do, that can be a very uncomfortable thing if you're not used to doing it and if you haven't done it before. And so, uh, and, and Dr. Crabb had a stuttering problem at the time as well. So it was kind of complicated. So he stood to pray and in, he prayed this terribly confused prayer. He recalls that he said he was thanking the Father for hanging on the cross and praising Christ for triumphantly bringing the spirit from the grave. <laughs> Pretty much a theological mess, right? Well, you know, when he was finished with this prayer, he vowed that he was never again going to speak or pray again in, you know, in front of a crowd. And so, you know, at the end of the service, he, he really didn't want to talk to anybody. He didn't want to run into any of the elders who were going to, you know, correct his poor theology. So he, he basically tries to sneak out, you know, get out of the, the church as quickly as he can. And he recalls that before he could get out, an older man named Jim Dunbar caught up with him. And he, he kind of prepared himself for what he figured was going to be said, this anticipated correction. But he found himself listening to these words. Larry, there's one thing I want you to know. Whatever you do for the Lord, I'm behind you 
Crabb writes in his book, <clears throat> even as I write these words, my eyes fill with tears. He says, I have yet to tell that story to an audience without at least mildly choking up. Those words were life words. They had power. They reached deep into my being. And that's what we have to remember. Words have such power. I was thinking about this the other day, and what came to my mind was, um, I can remember my dad coming home from a parent-teacher meeting and, and when I was in high school. And um, I was not doing well in chemistry. Chemistry was definitely not my subject. Getting some sympathetic nods, so <laughs> thank you for being with me there. And when my dad came home, <clears throat> he said that the teacher, I guess, had sort of opened the conversation by saying, well, I hope your son didn't have any designs on being a doctor. Now, I didn't. But, I, you know, as I reflect on that, you, know, you think about the power that those words had. And what if I had? I mean, I'm sure I wouldn't have been the first doctor who struggled initially with high school chemistry. And, you know, perhaps I could have fought back and, and you know. So, but, you know, I, that, I, I probably didn't even try at that point. And how many of us have had words like that spoken over us, you know, at various points? You hear it, you know, when you get a, um, you know, what amounts to a death sentence from the doctor. Well, I'm sorry, but this cancer is terminal. Well, I know a young woman who had stage four cancer and lives to talk about it when the doctors told her that wasn't going to happen. She chose to believe God rather than to believe the doctor. So as we leave here today, really think about the power that your words have on other people and even on yourself. You know, as you speak out things that, uh, you know, well, I can't do that. Well, why do you say that? Have you ever tried? So you speak that kind of negativity into your own life sometimes. So um, just know that your words do carry great power that has the and they have the ability to dramatically affect those around you. And so remember this concept of being an encourager, whether it's here, whether it's at your job, um, or just in the grocery store. I mean, how many grocery store clerks would love to hear an encouraging word, you know, when it's snowing outside and everybody and his brother is in there, you know, buying milk that they just can't live without for two days? Let's stand. <laughs> if I could have uh, folks from the uh, School of Kingdom Ministry to come down front and pray.
let's do this. If you, this is what we're going to pray for today. So if this has happened to you, this is what I feel like God wants to, to deal with. If you have had, if you have been the victim of someone speaking something over you that negatively impacted you, then I want you to come forth for prayer today and have these folks pray that off of you. Okay? So if that's, you know, if that's happened to you in some respects, whether it was when you were young, whether it was Friday at work, regardless, you know, don't deal, don't dwell on that. Don't let that negativity impact who you are. So come down and, and, and get prayer for that or anything else, not just that, but if that has happened to you, then that's what I really sense God wants to deal with today. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this day and this time. And Lord, I pray that uh, just as your words are such an encouragement to us, let our words be an encouragement to others. Father, we desire that this body of believers would be a place filled with your joy, a sense of your presence, and your love. And so, Lord, help those who come in here from the outside world witness that when they're here. Let them say, wow, these people really seem to love each other. And let us always speak words of encouragement to those around us, to our families, to our church family, and to ourselves. So, Father, put a check in our spirit whenever we begin to get into negativity. And let us just cut that off right at the knees. Bless each and every person here as they go forth from this place. Just give you praise for each life and each family. Continue to mold and, and shape us into the body that you would have us to be give you praise and thanks. And we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.